Amen. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And to think Preacher Williams is enjoying the reality of that. It's just wonderful to think of how we can look forward to that as Christians. Deuteronomy chapter number 6 this morning. In 1967, our 40th president, Ronald Reagan, said, Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The truth of a statement was that it only takes one generation to forget or reject the principles and ideas we hold dear. That truth from 1967 is still true today. If we do not diligently influence the next generation for Christ, inevitably they will forget or reject God and His Word. And this morning, I'm just going to preach my heart. I am burdened for the next generation. Yes, it's because I work with them seven and a half days, uh, seven and a half hours a day, four days a week. I <laughs> praise the Lord I don't deal with them for seven days a week because I think I would be even grayer than I already am. Um, seven and a half hours a, a day, four days a week. But... I'm also, as a Christian, very burdened for our, our young people and for the next generation. And if we don't get a hold of this truth this morning about influencing the next generation for Christ, inevitably many of them will forget or reject God and His Word. We see the first uh, biblical reference to generational decline in apostasy, apostasy is found in Judges which depicts how rapidly people can deviate from their original principles and convictions. In Judges chapter 2, verse 7, it says, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. But once this founding generation had passed, Judges 2, verse 10 says, there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And this was likely the very next generation, composed of the children and grandchildren of the founding generation. And the fact that they did not know the Lord or the miraculous events that God had performed on their behalf is a sad commentary as to their lack of influencing the next generation for Christ. Joshua and his contemporaries had failed to teach the younger generations the great lessons of God's providence and protection and the promises the people had made to follow the Lord. And if you don't think it's happening here in the United States and in our churches today, allow me to read a few statistics from various research organizations such as the Barna Group, and One Hope Research. In 2016, the Barna Group conducted a study asking teens about where they stand on some commonly debated ethical and legal issues. And in this particular study, they asked teens who were 13 to 18 years old, the Generation Z. I guess now we're on Generation Alpha. Okay, for those of you that really want to know that. These are the 13 to 18 years old. And these are what, this is some of the beliefs that they asked about. Lying, how many, what percent strongly agree that lying is morally wrong? 
And 34% strongly agreed that lying is morally wrong. About 30% strongly agree abortion is wrong. And then another one, there were some others, but I'll skip the two. And then they asked who strongly, how many strongly agree that homosexual behavior is morally wrong. And 20% strongly agree. I think that we would all agree since 2016 that America hasn't gotten better morally. It's gotten worse. And then in 2021, One Hope Research conducted a global study on the state of teens, 13 to 19 years old, and asked them about Christian practice, social media, sexuality, and the meaning of life. On Christian practice, 51% of U.S. teens claim to be Christian. And now Christian, according to One Hope, is very conservative. They believe that they define a Christian, One Hope does, as somebody that believes God exists and they can have a personal relationship with him. They believe Jesus is a son of God. They believe that forgiveness of sins is only possible through faith in Jesus Christ. They believe the word of God, the Bible is the word of God. They pray at least weekly and they read their, the Bible on their own at least weekly. So a pretty conservative view of Christian, a Christian here. 51% of U.S. teens claim to be Christian, yet only 8% display the beliefs and habits of a committed Christian. 46% of Christian teens never read their Bible. 58% of Christian teens believe they don't even have a responsibility to share their faith. On social media, teens in the U.S. spend an average of around seven and a half hours online daily. 65% of teens say social media, get this, 65% of teens say social media improves their life satisfaction. And depression is very high for heavy internet users, 20% higher for light internet users, but that suicidal thoughts are only are 28% higher for heavy net internet users than for light internet users. On sexuality, 30% of teens believe marriage should be exclusively between a man and a woman. 36% of Christian teens believe marriage should be exclusively between a man and a woman. Again, remember what they define Christian as. And then on the meaning of life, 45% of Christian teens say their family is the most important influence on the meaning of life, and only 8% of Christian teens say the Bible or pastors are the most important influence on the meaning of life. Why do I read all these statistics? Because it shows the moral decline of teens in the United States, and it shows the moral decline of teens in our churches today. Parents, we're ultimately responsible for our children. And I know you, this is one of those sermons that you're going to amen and amen and amen, and that's good. I enjoy amen, and it gets me fired up and helps me. But more than amening this morning, we need to get serious about influencing our, our, our teens for Christ. Satan in this world is engaged in an all-out attack on our young people. It is high time to wake out of sleep, like Romans chapter 13, verse 11 says, and get really serious about raising our kids for God. The agenda of this world, just the last few weeks, Disney, who has never been for Christians, by the way, they've always wanted to push their agenda on us, but especially now... They are 
pushing even more transgenderism and all the other junks, and they're coming out blatantly about it. And you think your kids aren't being influenced? You're blind. Okay? Yeah, I'm getting up in your living room. And I did let Pastor know I was preaching on this too. So there you go. But for whatever that's worth. Um, we got to get serious, guys. Parents, we got to get serious. If we're not diligently praying for and influencing our young people for Christ, something will influence them. And it will be the world. It doesn't take much to be fleshly here. We're fleshly. I tell the students all the time. It doesn't take much for you to walk in the flesh. All it takes is you not working to walk in the spirit. And you've walked in the flesh. And something is going to influence them. And with God's help this morning, I want to challenge us as parents, grandparents, teachers, mentors, and adults this morning to diligently influence the next generation for Christ. And while this sermon is very much applicable to parents, these principles can be applied to all of us in this room this morning. Whether you realize it or not, every one of you are influencing the next generation. Titus 2, Paul challenged the aged men and women to teach the young men and women to live godly by their example and their lifestyle. In 1 Timothy 4, even the teens are exhorted to be examples of the believers and word and faith and purity. Therefore, every one of us are and ought to be influencing the next generation for Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Lord, I pray that you'd help this morning. I need your help. Lord, I need you to take the word of God and apply it, Lord. And I pray that we would just really get serious about our teens, about our young people, and realize the devil is out there to get them. But we can be victorious. We can look to you for our strength. And I pray that, Holy Spirit, you'd work in an unusual way this morning as only you can and work in hearts, convict hearts, take the word of God. Help me as I preach that I would only say what I should say, leave out what I should leave out. And I pray that you would do a work as only you can. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, we see three things that we need or that we will need to do if we're going to influence the next generation for Christ. If we're going to influence the next generation for Christ, we must first of all, we see in verses 1 through 3, live right before God. Look at verses 1 through 3 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments with the, which the Lord, your God, commanded to teach you, that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's sons, and all the days of thy life, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Verse 3, Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee. And that, that, and that ye may increase mightily as the Lord God of your fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Mo, uh, Moses was preparing the children of Israel to go into the promised land. And he was talking to them about how they could be successful. How they could raise their families. How they could do what he had commanded them to do. And as I read earlier, we see in Judges that obviously there was something that happened in between this time and that time where there was not influencing going on. They were not passing down that influence. 
And maybe it was because of the thing, I believe it was, not maybe, I believe it was because they weren't following these three things that God gives to us in this, in this account here in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And first of all, we see that we need to live right before God if we are going to successfully parent and influence the next generation for Christ. We have to begin with our own relationship with the Lord. If we're going to bring him up in the, in the image of Christ and in the image of God, we must know the Lord and then we must walk in a right relationship before the Lord or we'll never have the influence that we need on them. In other words, just simply put, you will never be able to lead the next generation farther than you have been in your Christian walk. They're going to stop right wherever you stop. They're not going to go any farther than you. But really let that sink into your mind and heart today. Where are you at as a Christian? And that is where your kids are going to get to. You're the ones leading them. In verses three, 1 through 3, we see that we, need to, we see some things that we need to do to be able to be living right before God and being that testimony. First of all, we see in verse 2 that we're, we're told to fear the Lord thy God. It says that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God. This means we are to walk in an awareness of His glory, His holiness, and of His majesty. Our primary responsibility is, is to walk in the fear of the Lord. We are to bring our lives under the leadership of God's Word. We are to place God's will above all other considerations, realizing that the fear of the Lord is the first step in giving us knowledge and wisdom. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 14.26, and the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. Proverbs 22, verse 4, by humility... And the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. I don't know about you, but that sounds good. But we have to walk in the fear of God. How do we expect the next generation to fear the Lord and place God's will above all other things if they never see us walking in the fear of the Lord ourselves? They're not. But by God's grace. And yes, I, I understand this morning, you're probably thinking, there have been teens that have grown up in bad situations and bad homes and they still live for God but by the grace of God and I'm not saying that it won't happen but I'm telling you this morning we need to get serious about influencing our children for Christ and there's no excuse whether or not they live for God to be living not in the fear of God whether or not they walk with God you still need to be living in the fear of the God and it's our responsibility. And we will, I will, you will stand before God for what we do with our kids. When we fear the Lord as we should, this will result in our obedience to the word of God. Verse 2. Again, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee. The fear of the Lord always results in obedience of God's word. Proverbs 8, verse 13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy and evil way. In the froward mouth do I hate. The fear of the Lord is always going to result in obedience. The next generation needs to see that we take the word of God seriously. That the word of God is the rule of our lives and our home. God's standards, God's standards ought to be our standards. This is real humbling, but the next generation will model exactly what we do. 
They will carry away from us many of our actions. And most of the time, they'll carry away the ones that are not the good ones. I have four kids. I figured it out real fast. Okay, so by experience. All right, so the experience is the best teacher, remember? So by experience, my children picked up on all the bad ones, not the good ones, okay? Especially certain ones of them, but we'll leave that out. You probably can put a couple, one in particular, in that fill-in-the-blank there. And Mr. Mack always has to make sure that I remember everything that I do, did, and how it's coming out of my children. He just enjoys that so much. I love Mr. Mack, for the record. Um, I didn't really care for him before, but I really love him now. As in, like, when I was a kid. He was always the one that got on to me for running around and doing things I shouldn't. And I didn't like him then, but now I understand why, and I love him so much. All right, enough of that. i got to stop rambling because I'm going to end up losing time. we got to teach them, our kids, that God's word ought to be obeyed, not suggested. Okay? And that, that's our parenting. That's our parenting style. Okay? And I know we all have different parenting styles. But nonetheless, parenting style or not, God's word ought to be obeyed. And that's what our kids need to understand. And God promised in the latter part of verse 2 and then into verse 3 that when uh, Israel followed his word, that he would bless them and he would reward their lives. He said, Thou and thy son and thy son's sons all the days of life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do that it might be well with thee. And that, that, it, that ye may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. And the same holds true today. God's going to bless those who walk in his will. Psalm 1. I don't have time to read it. Children need to see that God will do what he says he will do. It's not God's fault. God's going to always come through. We're the ones that need to show them that God's going to always come through by our lives. Your children know that God will bless tithing by watching you? Do your children know that God will bless honesty by watching you? Do your children see that faithfulness is blessed by God by watching you? They will exact, learn exactly what they observe in your home and in mine. They need to know God blesses his faithful children. The next generation will be a living memorial to our investment in their lives. We need to, first of all, live. If we're going to influence the next generation for Christ, we must live right before God, verse 1 through 3. Secondly, we need to love God fervently, verse 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. The way that we live is directly proportional to the level of our love for Christ. If we're going to influence the next generation for Christ, we must love God supremely. He must be our focus in verse 4. The Lord our God is one Lord. He needs to be our focus. Putting God first is an attitude that must govern our lives. And we, we, we cannot allow any other gods. And I know you're saying, well, I don't have any trappings in my house of things that I bow down to. But a God is anything that you put before God or in the place of God. And if we're honest with ourselves, there's a lot of gods that we allow in our life. 
And putting God first needs to be an attitude that governs our life. Too often, young people see us putting everything else in the world ahead of God. It may be a job. It may be a hobby. It may be a friend. You fill in the blank. They see us putting those things ahead of God. And whatever comes ahead of God in your life and mine is an idol, and it sends a false message to our children. We're telling them by our actions that this thing we love comes ahead of the love that we have for God. But children need to know that there is no one or nothing that's going to come before our relationship with God. He must be our focus. If we just teach our children that God is, for Sundays, we're going to raise a generation of infidels. Now, again, I'm not saying it's wrong to have a hobby. I'm not saying it's wrong to do things. Don't, please don't get me wrong. I do things other than, you know, just sit there and pray and read my Bible. Not that that's a bad thing. But I do other stuff, fun stuff. It's okay to be fun as a Christian. Okay? Amen. All right, so just got to, I was getting a little tense up in here, as Pastor says. You might have thought I was saying that you couldn't do anything and you all had to just, you know, sit there and not do anything. No. But our love for God ought to be supreme. Our focus on God ought to be supreme. We should put that first before anything else and not allow anything else to take that place. Young people can see the hypocrisy that's in our lives. It's, again, a humbling fact, but they can see right through us. We can say all day that we, quote, live for God. But they know you're not really loving God like you ought to. Jesus really followed this up in Matthew chapter 22, this statement of loving God with all our heart in Matthew chapter 22. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. It's something we ought to live and do. Our attitude of putting God first in our life will be seen in our actions. God measures our love for him by our actions and our attitude in response to his word. I'll read the verse that we see that in 1 John 5, 3 says, For this is the love of God. Here's a definition. That we keep his commandments. That's the action. And his commandments are not grievous. That's the attitude. Our attitude, right attitude plus right action, will equal loving God. It's that simple. In other words, if our attitude towards God is right, he being our focus and love, then our actions will be right. Every aspect of your life, your thoughts, your attitudes, your words, your deeds, your schedule, your possessions must be lived with a view towards pleasing God. Have you put God first in every thought, in every word, in every action, every second, and in everything? You say, that's pretty strict. God's word just said, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. I don't think I'm being any more stricter than the word of God. And I'm, I'm standing up here saying I need to work on some stuff because we let things get into our lives. and We let God then push us away from where we ought to be. And that's why I want this to be a challenge and maybe an encouragement for us to get with it, to get serious. He must be our focus, and then he must be our fixation. The love for God, our love for God is to motivate us in every area 
of the life. This was the verses 4 through 9 and a few other passages what was, is what was called the Shema. It was to be Shema. Shema, sorry. Shema. All right. Um, the, it was to be repeated twice daily, every morning and every evening. He wanted the Jews to be fixed upon him. Total commitment. And the expectation of God is still today total commitment of all that we are to him. Body, that is our might and our physical strength. Our soul, our will and our personality. And then our spirit, our desires and our attitude. And that is sacrificially putting Christ first. Sometimes you have to sacrifice some things that you really want in your life. And everything's, it's going to be different for all of us. So don't get this attitude of looking at everybody else and going, well, they're not, you know, God works in all of us. Okay? And we will stand before God for me. Okay? Now, I am in a position that I have other people under me. Okay? I will stand before God for me, my family, and all the students that I have under me. I'm to give account of my responsibility that I have towards them. But nonetheless, we need to not have this attitude that, well, they're not doing what they should as a Christian. You got enough, and I got enough to take care of ourselves right here, okay? It's a full-time job right here, okay? All right? And if it's not, you might want to get into that workforce because that's enough right there. Maybe you're missing something, okay? Um, Just go look in the mirror, all right? Um, All right, enough of that. But we need to sacrificially put God first. Our love for him should consume us totally. And when it does, it's going to ooze out of us. It's going to fill us, and it's just going to bubble out of us and ooze out of us and it'll be revealed and his working will be revealed through us. So living right before God, if we're going to influence the next generation for Christ, we must live right before God. We must love God fervently. And then lastly, in verses 6 through 9 and then verses 20 through 25, we are to teach them diligently. Verses 6 through 9, I'll read these quickly. Um, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine head, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thine house and on thy gates. Skip down to verse 20. And when thy son asketh thee in in time to come, saying... What meaneth the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then shalt thou say unto thy son, We, are Pharaoh, we were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and sore upon Egypt and upon Pharaoh and upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence that, and that, that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swear unto our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always that he might preserve us alive as it is at this day. And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he hath commanded us. We are to teach them diligently. This is where the rubber meets the road. If we're going to live right before God and love God fervently, it will be natural, if we do that, it will be natural for us to teach the next generation diligently. It will be a natural outworking of that. If we're loving God fervently and we're living right before God, it's not going to be a, a hard thing for us to teach our children and the next generation about God. 
And the word of God must be the primary motivator and the primary instrument in our influence. The word of God. Pastor alluded to this a few weeks ago. Sometimes we add to the word of God something just in case kind of thing. Well, don't do this, this, and this, and that. Just, you know, we throw that out there because we know our children pretty well. You know, we know they're going to push it, right? So we add that. And pastor says we need to be wise and be careful not to add to God's word. We're to teach God's word diligently to them. Notice three things we are to do with the word of God. God's word must be in us and changing us. Verse 6, these words shall be in thine heart. God's word needs to be in us. And if it's in us and it's filling us, it will change us. If I expect my life to influence my children and the next generation, then I must be transformed by the word of God myself. It, not, it can't just be head knowledge. It has to be something that changes us. Nothing is going to happen in the next generation until it happens through me. Therefore, it's essential that we have our personal time, time of prayer and Bible study. I know that can be hard, especially with four little children who seem to get up when you don't want them to get up and don't go to bed when you want them to go to bed. And you're trying to read your Bible and pray. But still, we need to have that time. We need to have the time where the Word of God changes us so that we can change them. Not we, but God's Word is what I'm saying. Through us can change them. Okay? But if it's not in us, it's not going to change them. And then we need to diligently teach the Word to our children. That's in verses 7 through 9. And I want to just highlight some things here. I, I, um, I would encourage you as a parent, if you have not read the book Parenting a Soul by Dr. Lance Ketchum, that you would read that book. That book is a good book. Okay, um, And I'm going to be alluding to some of these things in, in that book uh, in this sermon. But verse 7, we see the importance of integrating truth into our children's lives. How do we integrate, integrate truth into our children's lives? It must be done piece by piece, a little here and a little there. Isaiah 28, verse 10 says, For precept must be upon precept, Pre, uh, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. Dr. Lance Ketchum said this, Quote, a fortress of biblical convictions is built one brick at a time. Each brick of truth must be carefully laid in place so that, the next, that when the next truth is built upon it, the underlying structure is solid enough to support the additional stress of that new truth. Like weaving the basket, he goes on to like weaving a basket, he goes on to say, biblical truth must be interwoven into the everyday education of our children. It is not something that can be done as an add-on to their education. Neither is it something that can be done separately from their education. It's to be interwoven. We must use every, we must learn as, as parents, and this is for everyone. So I know, again, I, I said that already, but this is for all of us. We need to learn to use every opportunity, successes and failures, to integrate the truth of God's word into the next generation. And it's going to take time. It's going to take saying it over and over and over until you feel like you're blue in the face. Trust me, I've been there. 
with not only the students, but my children. I say it over, and I know there's some students in there, probably they're cringing. There's some students in here, but I won't name any names. Um, But I say it over, and I say it over, and I say it over. I feel like just stopping. But no, that fire within me burns, and I have to say something because I want to influence the next generation. And somewhere down the road, maybe they'll fail. Maybe they'll go astray. But somewhere down the road, they're going to come back because they remembered that truth. Amen. <laughs> Whatever that was. All right. But um, we need to integrate it. We need to interwove it. Then verse 8, we see that the best way to integrate truth into the lives of the next generation is to live the truth before them by example. Can we honestly or even intelligently expect our children to love the Lord any more than we do? I won't belabor this because I already mentioned it, but we need to show them by example. That's verse 8. While the continual application of truth is the surest way to influence the next generation for Christ, a double standard is the surest way to undo everything that's taught. That's humbling. Do you have a double standard as a parent or as an influence? And then verse 9, we see that God's truths need to be integrated into our external relationships. What is your testimony for Christ outside? I think Dr. Lance Ketchum said this, the best way to find out what our testimony is for Christ outside by others is not by telling people what it is, but by asking them. We don't like doing that because it might, they'll probably tell us the truth. The truth hurts sometimes. We like to tell people what our influence is out there in our testimony. But really, it's humbling when we ask them, what is our testimony outside for Christ? Our children in the next generation are often a living example of our testimony for Christ. What changes do you need to make in the way you truthfully live before others in order to have a living, vibrant testimony for Christ that your children can look and say, yeah, my mom's not perfect, my dad's not perfect, but they live for God. And they're the same here as they are at home. Remember Preacher Williams' time that we had testimony? And Jonathan got up and said, what you saw at church is what he did at home. He was a living example. And I see Pastor Williams through and through this. I don't have time to really go into that because I'll lose, I'm already, time is not for me right now, but... I see Pastor Williams through this and through this because his testimony was one that was real. God wants the Word of God to be such a part of our lives that we literally are literally saturated in it. So much so that it motivates us in every area of our life so that our children know that we are living out His Word. When they see a happy and blessed us happy and blessed in the Lord, it will create an appetite for them and in them for the same things. They may be, and I already said this, but they may rebel for a while, but certainly the Lord will work in their hearts and bring them back home if you've done your work, if you've interwoven it, if you've lived your life not perfect, but real before God. If you try to use every opportunity, failure and success to try to help them, God will work and bring them back. Isn't that what he does anyway? Isn't that what he ought to do? As a, We're not the ones working. We're the instruments. 
But we're not the ones changing our children. And that's hard for me sometimes. I'm one of those people that want to grab it and fix it. Okay? Learned that really early on with my marriage. My wife doesn't always want me to fix it. She wants me just to listen. Okay? It's hard as men. We want to fix it. We want to take our kids and, you know, whop them upside the head a couple times and hang them upside down or whatever. Probably shouldn't go too far any farther because there's some people here that might think, wow, this guy, I thought he, he, I knew he was nuts when he started, but now I really think he's nuts. Um, you probably still think that anyway, but um, it's all right. I'll let pastor clean up all the mess. No, I'm just joking. All right. Um, I'm, not, I'm not being serious about that. Um, I got to get serious, though. We need to let... God's word worked through us. And even though they rebel a little bit, God will work. God is at work. Pastor's been saying that over and over again. God is at work. We may not see it. This morning, the testimony of Mrs. Russ was that of God was working. Okay? And you don't always see the fruit right away. But you will eventually. Stay tuned. Stay with God. And keep doing what's right. Remember, it only takes one generation to forget or reject the godly principles and ideas that we hold dear. God warned the children of Israel in verse 12, Beware, lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. If we do not diligently influence our children in the next generation, it inevitably they will forget or reject God and His Word. In 1900, a man studied the descendants of Jonathan and Sarah Edwards, the New England revival preacher, theologian, and president of Princeton University. Statistics vary slightly, but over a hundred of his descendants became ministers, missionaries, and theological professors. Thirteen were university presidents. At least 65 were college professors. More than a hundred were lawyers and judges. More than 60 were physicians. 86 were state senators. Three were state governors, three were U.S. congressmen, one was the controller of the U.S. Treasury, and one became vice president of the United States. While we're not guaranteed that kind of impact, we can make an impact for Christ. On this world, if we raise up godly generations by living right before God, loving God fervently, and teaching them diligently. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't even know Christ. You're not even in Christ. None of this will make sense. None of this will work unless you are in Christ. And what does it mean to be in Christ? It means to have your sins forgiven, to realize that you are a sinner before God, before a thrice holy God, and to confess your sins and to say, there's no way I can get to heaven except for the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for me. And to call on Jesus Christ and to believe on him and ask him to forgive you. If you're here this morning and there's any doubt in your mind that you're not saved, if you have any doubt, take care of that this morning. Don't let it go. If you're a parent here and you're not saved, you need to get saved first. But then if you're saved here this morning, and maybe you're here, and the Lord convicted you, the Holy Spirit convicted you of some things that you're not doing right with your children. Or maybe you're here and you're a mentor, you're an adult, you're a teacher, you're, you're one of those people that don't have children, but that do have an influence on children, and that do have an influence on the next generation. And maybe you haven't been living for God, maybe you haven't been interwoven 
God's word into that teaching. And maybe you haven't been doing what you ought to. And you've, been, you've been negligent in your responsibility to, to influence the next generation. You've not been living right before God. You've not been loving God supremely and teaching God's word diligently. After I pray, I would encourage you to come down to the altar and get, right, get things right before God. Covenant today to take up the challenge of influencing the next generation for Christ. With every head bowed and every eye closed as we prepare for the invitation. May the Lord challenge us. May the Lord work in our hearts to cause us to be the influence that we ought to be.